for our cold open today, lads. And if you haven't seen this video, it is quite spectacular. Yesterday, in Congress, they decided to take their crusty asses out of their seats and talk to some people. They talked to five very powerful people, the heads of some of the largest social media companies out there. You had X, Meta, Zuckerberg was there himself, Snapchat, and of course, TikTok. As this is, I think, their, his third congressional hearing in the last, like, year. Because, like, they want to ban TikTok so bad. Because, you know, it's communist propaganda. It's, as Lindsey Graham put it, destroying the state of Israel. Fantastic. Because, you know, free speech is only free speech when you agree with it, obviously. But Well, no, Cameron, they know they're the party of free speech. So That's, I... I you may, I'm mistaken. Yeah, you, you do have me there. But Arkansas, Arkansas's very own, very uh, bravest and brightest, Senator Tom Cotton, I believe he's a junior, the junior senator out, out of Arkansas, Tom Cotton, took it upon himself to do the world brave yesterday. And he wanted to talk to the CEO of Tic Tac. This is, of course, after the junior senator out of Missouri, Josh Hawley, Josh fist pump on his way into the Capitol to object to the certification Holly, after he made Mark Zuckerberg apologize to the families of family members who have lost someone to social media like online bullying and he did get up he was surprisingly less lizard like yesterday he was probably like the most human i've seen mark zuckerberg which was kind of odd like obviously the like the most famous one of him in the congressional hearing is him doing like the water thing but it was actually surprisingly non-robotic yesterday he actually he got up and gave a update. yeah a fairly human software update where he was able to give a fairly decent apology i feel like obviously it's nothing josh holly does like the faux populist like well you're a billionaire can't you can't you compensate while voting to give that guy consistently more money and more deregulation all the time again it's all they can it's all they can run on but he got up and gave a pretty heartfelt apology which is a little awkward but whatever it's mark zuckerberg but following that our kansas's bravest and brightest tom cotton decided to question the ceo of tiktok Xiao I probably mispronounced that. But let's see what the riveting questioning that this man brought to it. I, I can't remember. No, no, it's it, the Biden administration that reversed those sanctions, just like, by the way, they reversed the terrorist designation on the Houthi t- Houthis in Yemen. How's that working out for them? The Houthis in Yemen. Sanctioned <laughs> as a Chinese communist military company. So you said today, as you often say, that you live in Singapore. Of what nation are you a citizen? Singapore. <laughs> Are you a citizen of any other nation? No, Senator. Have you ever applied for Chinese citizenship? Senator, I served my nation in Singapore. No, I did not. Do you have a Singaporean passport? Yes, and I served my military for two years. Do you have any other passport? No. Your wife is an American citizen. Your children are American citizens. That's correct. Have you ever applied for American citizenship? No, not yet. Okay. (laughs) Have you... Oh, Communist Party. Senator, I'm Singaporean. No. Communist <laughs> Party. No, Senator. I'm Singaporean. Let me ask you some hopefully simple questions. You said earlier. <laughs> All right, we, we can go off of there. But then he tries to like tries to stop like the Tiananmen Square massacre and everything like that. But what's really I... funny is that he answers it like four times, and it's just not going into his head. I love that <laughs> like that is real. Like, you it's see so scenes funny. in movies where, like, like Iron Man, for example. Iron Man 2, where he's like, do you possess a specialized weapon? No. And it's just, he's making him look like a total f- bozo. And then you actually get like that in real life. Or, like, in the f- Johnny Depp hearing, where it's like, what was it? Do you understand what I'm saying? Did I read that correctly? Yes, you did. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, you did. Did I read that correctly? You, you continue to read them correctly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know exactly what's going through that guy's head. Tom Cotton is going through. He's going through the checklist, right? He's like, well, you're not white. I don't think you're black. You're not Mexican, which means you have to be Chinese. There's it's, only other, there's only Chinese out there. What kind of Chinese are you, brother? What, what the hell is a Singapore? What part of China is Singapore in? You're he Chinese. Nah, he goes, no, nah, I'm Singapore. And he's like, that's a province of China. It's got to be a province of China. <laughs> what kind of Chinese are you, brother? That's what that's what the question is to you. What kind of Chinese are you? It's so hilarious. He's Chinese. like, but are you part yeah. of the Communist Party? No. I'm from Singapore. <laughs> exactly. He's answered the same questions every time he's come to Congress, too, because every single time they're like, well, I, I'm looking at you. You're clearly Chinese. Like, tell me about communism right now. And it's like, brother, I have nothing to do with the nation of China. What are you talking it's about? so funny because that man's absolutely like a demon in every sense. I mean, he's a mega rich CEO of a tech company. Exactly. But exactly. Root, but like, he owed him. I mean, he got him. <laughs> Thank you.
welcome back to episode 38 of Two Lefties Get It Right. We are here in our glorious year of 2024 in welcoming it, your, yourself into the What About White History Month of February. It was trending on, it was trending on Twitter earlier of White History Month, as it always is. Every single year, man, every single year, it will always be What About White History Month? What about Straight Pride Month? Every about, single year. What about Cop History Week? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> military service only gets a month. Where, where's my cop month, brother? Uh, uh, uh. They do more work uh, than the military. Uh, I was like, why do people get a month? How about the military? Why does the military? It's like, uh, they do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They also get like multiple holidays. Yeah. But we are back once again uh, today in February, post our one year anniversary uh, of the show, which is crazy. Another another year, another year of Dick Cheney getting it. Unfortunately, still alive with his second heart. Thought from Todd. <laughs> He did steal it from Todd, that's true. Yeah, what's in your big Todd? Big Todd. We are back once again covering the news, and today will be kind of a special episode as it has been our one-year anniversary as of yeah, as of two days ago. We will be doing a little bit of a recap to see the year that we covered with y'all as we went through it, discussing our biggest news of 2023, more specifically the positive news of 2023, the biggest wins, and, the biggest wins for the labor movement of 2023, Biggest contracts, biggest strikes, biggest everything that we got to see, and to celebrate our home state of Minnesota. To do it, do props as we've been talking about for the last year. But before that, I will do a brief bit of news covering today, giving some updates around the world. Uh, this last Friday, the International Criminal, uh, Court of Justice ruled uh, in the South African case of genocide against the state of Israel. It gave its ruling, uh, several rulings, in fact, where were mostly 15 to 1 or 16 to 1 rulings, usually with the Israel judge voting against these provisions, because obviously. They ruled that the case does have standing to move forward into the actual genocide case, which again will most likely take years to get the ruling of, but South Africa was seeking provisional measures to stop the, stop the carnage going on in Gaza. They were seeking a full ceasefire, but did not get one issued outright. Israel has been ruled to provide a report within the, by the end of February to see how they are not committing genocide, which since that report, since that ruling came out, they are definitely not beating those allegations. If anything, they're doubling and tripling down on them. They also ruled that the case of genocide is plausible, which is a huge news in the international uh, court of like court of justice to rule that there is a plausible case of genocide, especially against the state of Israel. First time in its 75 years of existence. Additionally, even domestically, uh, jo our very own Joseph Robinette Brandon, Anthony Blinken, and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin had their genocide case ruled on in federal court in San Francisco, where a Bush-appointed judge, so definitely by no means a leftist judge or a radical lib, ruled that the case is also plausible of genocide and their complicity in it, and he only dismissed the case on standing grounds because of the political question doctrine, in which federal judges typically can't rule on election cases like that. But in his dismissory opinion, he did say that there are, cer there are certain cases where the, there are very rare cases in which the desired outcome does, like is can only happen outside of court, and he did say that. He did say that he wishes he could stop it as much as he can, but he moved on anyway. So, legally, the world is mounting against Israel, which, rightfully so, they are committing mass slaughter and genocide onto the population of Gaza. They have now killed over 27,000 people and injured up to 65 to 70,000. Again, those numbers are conservative, as the Gazan Health Ministry only counts confirmed, and that's still counting several thousand under the rubble. Specifically since Friday, when the when the ICJ ruled their case, they have uh, confirmed killed just under 1,000 Palestinians and injuring over 2,000. So, yeah, this whole case of they have to try their best to mitigate it, they, they don't care. They're going to continue to do it as long as the United States backs them, and the United States will back them no matter what they do. They've proven it time and time again. Brandon is a committed Zionist, has been his entire career. He will continue Israel to do is so. It's just baby America. Yes, they are our for they are our forward operating base. They are the unsinkable aircraft carrier. They are the fifty first state. They have many litany of names because we use them to destabilize the region, which is resource rich, a lot of oil, <laughs> a lot of resources in that region that we want. Similarly, <laughs> uh, in a addition of war crimes bonanzas that Israel has been committing, they truly are going like the Geneva Convention, like as a checklist or a bucket list at this point. There was a raid in the West Bank, so. Not Hamas run, uh, the, the Palestinian West Bank in, in the hospital in Janine, where they kind of went SEAL Team 6, but illegally, like even extra illegally than SEAL Team 6, where they dressed up in hospital garments as 
doctors, civilians, women, hijabs, the whole shebang. They dressed up as civilians, snuck into the hospital, went to three specific rooms and executed. One of them was 20, one of them, like I think it was 22, 25, and 27. They claimed they were Palestinian militants, but the rules of war do not allow that to happen, especially considering the youngest of them, who they claimed was plotting a ter- who was actively plotting a terrorist attack, was par- was paralyzed since October in a partial coma in his bed working on physical therapy. They walked up to him, put a, put a pistol in his mouth, and shot three times. You can't do that. That's kind of like every war crime in the book. But no, America says they're allowed to do it, so they can get away with whatever but, they want to do. Israel has the right to defend itself. So. Israel, yes, Israel has the right to defend itself. They have a right to commit every war crime they want. And if you claim they can't, that's super anti-Semitic. Like, don't the worry, guys. In retaliation to this, uh, over the weekend, there was a strike on a U.S. Uh, forward operating base in Jordan, which killed three American soldiers. The question might be coming to your mind. Why do we have a base in Jordan that's not America? Why are they there? But... Well, technically, it is America. <laughs> the base is, at least. We, we do like to send, as our 650-plus military bases abroad, are there are there military bases in America from a def- different country? Of course not. That would be ridiculous. Not a lot. What, not do you, a lot. what do you mean? America gets to do it, not the rest of you. But a drone strike from an, Iran, an Iran-linked mili- uh, militia group was launched at the base. Preliminary forensics are saying that the Department of, De- like the Department of Defense is saying that they thought that it was a U.S. drone returning to the base after like going out. God knows what that drone was doing. When U.S. sends out its drones, I mean, Obama's not in the White House, but he was his vice president. And what, the Defense Department thought that that was the, or like the base thought mistakenly that was our drone, so it kind of like slipped through our radar, and the attack drone killed three service members, injuring several others. This is the first time that American, ser- American service members have been killed by a foreign adversary since the pullout of Afghanistan at the beginning of Biden's presidency. In retaliation to this, you have senators like Lindsey Graham saying, all right, let's hit Iran, hit them hard, as well as others saying it's time to strike in Tehran, just immediately calling for bloodshed in, te- in Iran, I'm despite these are not Iran. That we immediately didn't start bombing. Now, <laughs> like usually, usually like killing American soldiers is kind of a no-go. So. You, you make a great point in the sense of what, where is the retaliation? And it's coming. As of last night, Joseph Robinette Brandon has authorized military force to be used in a sustained campaign for the next several weeks of airstrikes and otherwise military uh, operations against these Iranian-backed uh, militia groups, just military proxies and military like installations and everything like that, despite the warning from the IRJC, or the Ir- Iranian government, rather, saying that those will come with retaliation, as it has the entire time it has been going on since October 7th. We let's strike, like they the retaliate. So yeah, let's go. So, despite that warning, Brandon is still going ahead, marching us ever closer to World War III. Lovely, super fun, that's so much fun. The greatest part of this whole thing is before the 2003 invasion of Iraq, the military launched the most expensive military war game in history. It's called the Millennium Challenge. If you want to look it up, it's a very interesting thing. It's kind of like Halo. They were doing this like online simulation. At this time, Halo was still in its development. They, kind of, they clearly shared different game aspects. And the military used Halo to like basically simulate ground offensive and just a war against an unnamed military target. But it was very clearly a Middle Eastern country by the name of Iran or Iraq. They were both very similar. And the best part of it, we spent all of this money and we got our asses handed to us in the simulation. The Millennium Challenge, as any general or any military person will tell you that was involved in that war game, they got their asses kicked. They had to ask the other... T- they basically rigged it to where America couldn't lose. Like, they had to ask the, the red team, the opposite team, to pull back their forces so the Americans could land safely. The red team was denied from using tactical, like, chemical warfare and everything like that, or, like, anything that probably would be used in a traditional war, and had to disclose its troop ro- locations so the Americans could find them. Things that will definitely not happen in real life. It's very clearly, if we go to Iran, a war with Iran, it's not going to be a good thing. We, lo- we got a kick in Iraq, brother. Iran is, like, three steps above that. I was going to say, the, the only unrealistic... Another additional unrealistic thing about that that you didn't mention. Why would we send in just a full-scale ground invasion? We have yeah, we're gonna bomb so sh- many drones and missiles and, like, yeah. I feel like a ground invasion into any foreign country is always a massive uphill battle. So if you have a technical advantage, 
you would never like they'll establish fight the that air battle. superiority. They'll park a couple aircraft carriers outside, and then they'll just bomb the f out of the entire country for like a year and a half. The question, the question is it too though. Obviously, war fuels the MIC, military industrial complex. It fuels profit. It just generates infinite sums of money. But there has to be a balancing act too. War will always be profitable until it's not. What do I mean by that? The Strait of Hormuz is a very crucial trade and oil depot in the world. And it is currently controlled by Iran. Basically, this little, like, strait of water that basically allows for oil to be shipped. If Iran was to be a foreign adversary to us, like, more than they already are, trust me, we absolutely despise the Iranian <laughs> government. We've been trying to overthrow them since the 50s. We quite literally did Operation Ajax, which led to the conservative government that... that currently exist there the only democratic election in iran's history we destroyed but since that because they control the strait of Hormuz, it would send global oil prices through the roof it would cause things to cause record-wide inflation for every industry across the world we saw what happened when russia invaded ukraine and they control very very little of the world's oil supply relatively to iran or relatively to the middle east that is or like with saudi arabia we don't want a war with iran not only for humanitarian reasons because war is awful and disgusting but even economically it wouldn't make a damn bit of sense because we would lose our asses immediately. So to the Chuck Grassleys and the Lindsey Grahams of the world, I know you just want to smell burning flesh one more time before you die, but I'm telling you, it wouldn't even make sense from an economic standpoint. I mean, the only way it works, like, even logistically, is if we immediately capture the Strait of Hormuz, hold it somehow. How's our relationship with Oman? When we're, not the... when we're not genociding them and bombing them to <laughs> two, decent. <laughs> And how about the UAE? Because they're on the other side. UAE is tip is considered more friendly to us, but in this particular case, because what what has to what has to be realized by the military brass, even though they love to paint all of these things that have been happening in the Middle East for the last few months as unrelated, it all comes down to Israel. If Israel stops doing genocide, all of this stops immediately. The Houthis stop blockading the Red Sea. These Iranian-backed proxies stop launching retaliatory strikes against the U.S. because they view Israel as just an extension of the United States. Accurately, that's what it is so if we were actually to de-escalate do diplomacy give the palestinians actually self-recognition as saudi arabia has said they require for a normalization deal for like tensions to cool off in the middle east then we can agree with the actual with, with the other world powers of the world because china has been saying they will not do anything without a palestinian state russia has said the same thing if you de-escalate like actually de-escalate unlike that's another thing too is these last couple weeks, when we've been doing these bombing raids in Yemen or against these now militia groups in Iraq and Syria, they like say, no, no, we're de-escalating, guys. These are de-escalatory bombings. Because famously, when you bomb another country, that always brings tensions down, right? Yeah. <laughs> See, I was, I, I was actually thinking about that earlier today. Like, if someone was to use the argument of Japan, like, unironically, I know you're obviously joking, but it... There has never been a conflict where an exorbitant amount of force has ended the conflict. Conflict always ends through diplomacy and de-escalation. At the end of the day, Japan, if you want to use that reference, Japan was over. Japan was defeated. It was military done. The only thing that was holding up the negotiations for an actual peace talk was the emperor. Hirohodo was like, like, the Japanese people obviously looked at him as like a divine being because that's what the emperor was to them at the time. And they were like, okay, we'll, we'll surrender on the one condition that he can remain the emperor. And the United States was like, no, we need an unconditional surrender no matter what you say. And we've got these new bombs that we spent all this money on. We need to scare the Soviets. So we're just going to drop them on you, on these civilians' infrastructure, and kill 220,000 people. And then they surrender. And guess what? They still got to keep their emperor anyway. So we bombed them for no reason. We, we held up. We killed. show off yeah. to the Soviets. Like, hey, that's a cool country you have there. Look at my son. <laughs> Look at my two sons. We can do it as much as you want, guys. So here's what I'm curious about. And this is going to sound really bad when I say it, so bear with me. Why always a good way to start. <laughs> is this one such a big deal? Because genocides and ethnic cleansings and forcing people to leave their home happen all the time. Like, all the fucking time. And I know when countries like China or Russia do it, it's kind of hard for the world to be like, no, no, no. But why? Why? <laughs> why is this one so much of a bigger deal? I think the 
I mean, to begin, I think it's obviously all genocides are bad. No genocide right. is worse than the other, you know, kind of thing. Genocide is, I think it's the, just the attention on the region that's, like, inflated this one. It's like, well, one, there's, like, was, there's the Uyghur genocide going on in China right now. It's a good way to, like, kind of parallel that. It's, there's no, we have no access to that information. There's no information coming in or out. We can't see it. There's not really anything we can do about it. Whereas Israel, like, it's there. It's on the forefront. Everybody's seeing what's happening. We've got all this data. We've got all these videos. Like, everybody can see what's going on. And it's very, very preventable. Like, we could just be like, hey, Israel, knock it off. And it's done. But we won't. Yeah. You you make a great point. Live streaming genocide is something that I never thought that I would experience. But being able to, like, whip through social media and through various forms that are not, like, considered traditional media, showing it in real time causes, like, mass empathy that's why you see this generational divide of support for israel based off of how like the old the age you are as you go lower in age especially when you get below 30 35 support for israel is negative support for palestinians has never been like a popular issue until the last few months because people see them as human beings now granted this is the longest ethnic cleansing campaign that's in existence at least that's been documented it's been going on for 75 years. Oh, I thought you meant and, just like the past year and a half. I'm like, oh, no, no, <laughs> no, they, they've been doing this since 1948, starting with the Nakba. Yeah. And for it to continue on and continue on, obviously, it's always been there. Human rights groups have, uh, have always been saying like, yo, Israel, you need to chill it with this. Like you're imposing an apartheid against the Palestinian people. And for everyone to see that on the ground and to have the connections to the people, like Bassan is a great example. People see Bassan as their connection to it in a way that no other reporter is there. She's on Instagram. She's on Twitter. She is telling you exactly what's going on. She's showing you right away. We are seeing footages of these kids being dragged out and we're seeing it in a live time. Even if you go back 20 years in Iraq, same things were happening in the, to even a larger, larger extent in, this, in a sense. And we were the ones pulling the trigger. I mean, we killed a million civilians when we invaded, like, during the Iraq war for no reason because we lied our way into it and we just killed a million civilians for no reason. If we would have had the social media connection then, I truly think we would have seen something eerily similar to what's going on now. Now, that would have been a little bit harder to stop. I mean, it would be easy to stop in the sense of, like, it's still our government doing it. But Griffin makes a great point is this could all end tomorrow. One phone call, it's done. And Biden just simply won't do it. And because of that, the Western governments of the world are agreeing with it. How is that true, though? It's not like they're running paycheck to paycheck on bullets. Well, they are. I, I think they, it's they, very, like, the not necessarily that it would stop on a dime. Like, I, that's obviously a bit of an exaggeration. But within a couple weeks, if America goes, Israel, you need to knock it the fuck off. We're not going to fund you anymore, and we're going to pull our forces out of the region. We're not going to protect you. Like, what's this, what's this, or unless you stop, what's this we're going to do? They're like, all right, fuck you, and then just get bummed by the rest of the middle east or? yeah that's what i was gonna say another total hypothetical if we did that and we just removed all american influence from that area who's to say all the other countries aren't just like hey let's f up israel that's not it's how like, that's not how international relations works but, is it? but i mean historically <laughs> I, they is have that not unrealistic though because like yes it is unrealistic they're, they're they're not popular in that region, though. They're not popular, but they're not worth going to war with a no. against a nuclear power. Well, I think if they did, they, you if just they said they were out of weapons. They they're not out of nuclear stockpiles in the sense if they have 50, they have at least fifty nuclear warheads, as far as we know. Obviously, they will never confirm that, even though it's the worst kept secret in the world. The thing, the thing, when I say in the sense of there's a reason why Antony Blinken and Biden have bypassed Congress twice to send emergency weapon shipments to Israel is because yes, they are literally taking the ones that we send them, using them immediately. They needed tank shells and because they were out of tank shells. They needed uh, more rockets and more bombs because they were out of rockets and bombs. As soon as they get them, they use them. We account for, I believe, 33% of their military. And yes, and the reason why I say that it can end tomorrow, I use historical examples. Ronald Reagan. Again, Joe Biden is to the right of Ronald Reagan on this in the sense of when they invaded Lebanon in the 80s, Ronald Reagan literally wrote in his journal that he compared it to a holocaust, that he was seeing all these civilians die. And he called the prime minister of the time and said, yo, you need to stop this right now. I believe Lincoln on the prime minister's name. Surprisingly enough, actually, after that happened, he came, the prime minister of Israel at the time, came to the United States Senate and heard like all these people like basically like read him just shunders saying like, hey, you got to stop. This is all gross. There was one senator who said, no, you know what? If I was in your situation and Canada had done that, I would support killing women and children in Canada too. That senator, Joe Biden. Of but course. regardless, um, Genocide Joe, let's go. Ronald Reagan threatened to pull military and financial assistance to Israel, and it was done within two days. 
Joe Biden himself in 2021, following airstrikes after Israel had taken uh, Sheikh Jarrah. They had launched a few rockets. Israel retaliated, again, aggressively so, killing, I think it was over 2,000 people. Biden called and said, all right, you've done enough. It's time to end. 18 hours later, it was done. Even in this conflict specifically, right at the beginning of October, a couple weeks, the first couple weeks, you got to remember, no aid was allowed in, none. Israel was going to literally starve and dehydrate them to death. Like, not a single truck had gotten in, nothing. They were going to lay a complete siege. And then all of a sudden, the crossing points opened up, and they let marginal, but still some aid into Gaza. And they asked Yoav Galant, the defense minister, hey, why, why did you change your mind? And he literally said, well, America asked us to. What am I supposed to say, no to America? It's as simple as that. We have all the cards here. We have all of the power. We could end this tomorrow, and we're choosing actively not to. So that's why I say that. Yeah. I guess. But, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Enough of the grim and blue. It is time to celebrate a little bit and celebrate in a way that we look back at our one-year anniversary, 2023, a year that will go down in with historic uh, reputation of massive labor wins at a time when union membership is dwindling and labor was crushed. There's still a ray of fight left in the American worker, which I love to hear. But kicking us off, I want to start with our greatest home state of Minnesota. Now we covered a lot of Minnesota's policy achievements over the last uh, over the last year, with the trifecta of holding the House, Senate, and the governorship, even the Senate by only one seat. Democratic Farmer Labor Party was able to go crazy, nutty with it, and creating a Maoist third worldist utopia, social democracy, just going off. Now I will not be reading everything that the Minnesotas did because that was quite a bit of it, but I will be reading some of their most notable achievements, and again, this is in no particular order. Minnesota created a huge new statewide paid family leave and medical program, raising the number of workers receiving paid, paid leave from 25% to 100%. They fully legalized marijuana. They made school lunches free for all students, leading to Governor Tim Walls being adorably mobbed by elementary schoolers. Genuinely, I'm going to share my screen with it because it's one of the most awesome videos of all time. Like, can you imagine, like, Ron DeSantis being this happy near children? Like, is getting absolutely like the best part about that video is like the same week sarah huckabee sanders governor of arkansas signed a bill making child labor legal and there's another picture of her surrounded by kids and she's got this big sheet eating grid and the kids look depressed i do i so do sad. i do remember so that sad. yeah you know like even florida is like also going nutty with their child labor which is insane but iowa too iowa, iowa had a good one mm. Minnesota also created a new protections for Uber and Lyft drivers, leading to State Senator Omar Fateh being adorably mobbed by Uber and Lyft drivers. Again, this is worthwhile showing the video because it's another awesome one. Uh, being just raised up, just cheering him on. Like, look at that. Like, that is what – can you imagine that in a national assembly, just everyone cheering him on, doing the chair thing? Like, when you protect the workers, you get to see those awesome benefits back with you. It's just – Truly a wholesome sight to see. They are one of the few states that actually took advantage of the post-Dobbs decision, and they fully codified Roe v. Wade, ensuring that Republicans can't endanger abortion rights in Minnesota simply by controlling the courts. They funded the replacement of all lead pipes, uh, another uh, specific law created by uh, Congresswoman. This one obviously was so good that it passed with unanimous Republican support, replacing all lead pipes in the state. They banned non-complete agreements and created a statewide paid sick leave, which is awesome. Again, right to work is disgusting. Non-compete agreements are one of the worst things ever. Minnesota Dems enhanced a raft of laws to make the state a trans refuge and ensure people receiving trans care here can't be reached by far-right governments in places like Florida and Texas. They ensured everyone, including undocumented immigrants, can receive driver's licenses, a, another huge one. They made public college free for the majority of Minnesota families, specifically downtown. Really cool. They dropped a billion into a bevy of affordable housing programs, including creating a new statewide housing voucher. They massively increased funding for the state's perpetually underfunded public defenders, which lets public defenders be more, more of them be higher and existing one gets a salary increase. They raised Minnesota education spending by 10% or about $2 billion. They created an energy standard for 100% carbon-free energy by 2040. Um, they boosted election infrastructure. Minnesota specifically has one of the highest voter turnouts in the country, and they still just made it stronger. Minnesota Dems expanded the publicly su subsidized health insurance program that's been to undocumented immigrants. This one's in interesting because it's the sort of things Dems often bulk at. The governor opposed it. The legislature rolled over him and passed it anyway. Minnesota Dems expanded background checks, enacted red flag laws, passing gun safety measures that the GOP has thwarted for years. They re restored voting rights to corrected, uh, convicted felons as soon as they leave prison. They made prison phone calls free, which is a huge, like, that's such a basic social policy. But the fact that you need to pay for that is just so cruel and inhumane. 
but it's free in Minnesota now, baby. Minnesota Dems passed new wage protection rules for construction industry. They created a new sales tax to fund bus and train lines, an enormous victory for the sustainability and quality of public transit. Transit being more uh, pleasant to ride, more frequent, and having better shelters. They passed new strict new regulations on forever chemicals. They passed the largest bonding bill in state history, funding to prove parks, colleges, water infrastructure, bridges, etc. Build like more uh, railroads uh, create, to connect the Twin Cities to Duluth. They indexed they indexed a bunch of stuff to inflation, including the state's education uh, funding, which helps to ensure the school spending doesn't decline over time. I'm I'm leaving a, a lot of it out, but this is just a kind of very comprehensive list. Yeah. This was all within five months from minutes yeah, from January till May. Session. It was take, truly an unbelievable session. Take notes at the federal government. If the National Democratic Party was to do <laughs> like that when they have when they have trifectas, go back to Brandon's first like first half of his term. He had the presidency, the Senate, and the House. It's not like they had a radical legislature. They just wanted to get stuff done. They wanted to help people. And Republicans, they were like, I don't, this is this is gross. This is all over like that. They couldn't do anything. They don't have the votes. Shut up. Go away. We're going to do it anyway. And guess yep. what? This is how you help citizens. When you have trifectas actually doing this, it makes people's lives better. Compare this to Florida. When they get trifectas and they're like, you know what? Those 16-year-olds really do need to work 40 hours a week to remember what the good days were. They need to, We need to dunk on the three trans trans girls that want to pe- play soccer. Like, that's the difference between these things. When people say, oh, my God, they're the same thing like that. There can be differences. We just need to actually enact those differences. You got really passionate there. I haven't spoken in, like, <laughs> six or seven minutes. Fuck, you shut me up for six or seven minutes. Sorry. Yes, the Minnesota State Legislative Session. I am very happy to see what goes on this year. I'm very excited to see what they just became came back in session this last week, and I'm really excited to see if they can expand on it even more. Because yes, I was very proud to be a Minnesotan back like this last year. Yeah. Based Minnesota. I yeah. I've been to a lot of places in the states, and regardless of their what their I what I know about their policy or don't know, I like Minnesota so much. It's just nice. And I know there are some areas that are not so nice, but most of it is clean. Crime is fairly low. And roads work. <laughs> like, yeah. it's some, it's really basic ass but it- Basic think, social policies working, yeah. It's yeah. Like, even, it's like, I spent a decent amount of time like Kansas. Kansas is by no means a It's it's a fine state, but yeah, it just doesn't compare. You're speaking pretty highly for a place with a name called Liberal, brother. I've been in Liberal, Kansas. I know what that shit holds like. Liberal, yeah, I've been to Medicine Lodge, Kansas. That's where we started true. the Trail of Tears, baby. <laughs> hell, hell yeah, Andrew Jackson, based war criminal. So, the, the best genocider in American history. Oh, genocide Joe's coming for that. Definitely trying his best he can, just not domestically. Kansas City even vote Dem? I'm sure it does. I mean, they have a Democratic governor. They got to get that from somewhere. Oh, do they? Okay. Mm. She actually got reelected in 2022, which was insane. Like, again, this red wave that was supposed to happen that that didn't because they went crazy with it. Because voter fraud. Well, yeah, because they stole it across the country. Because mail-in votes votes. not Like Carrie Carrie Lake. who's I I actually read a political report. So Carrie Lake is obviously running for the Senate in Arizona. She's running against uh, Cinema, who's running as an independent, who is not going to win. And then Ruben Gallego for the Democratic nomination, who's winning, I think, by like six or seven points at this point. Not only has Ruben out fundraise and outspent her carrie lake has spent more money on her 2022 governor like election fraud cases than she has running for the senate now like dude move on it was over a year ago it's time to move on seriously it's done you lost i'm yet to meet a person who like after like a 10 minute conversation legitimately believes the election was stolen. like i met people who are like i don't know like well it's kind of fishy like the, the fox news points and i'm like I don't know, like, I just think the conspiracy would have to run so deep and so wide that at this point in time, there's no legitimate evidence of it occurring. Just, like, random anecdotes from psychos on the internet. And they're like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, no one, like, ever argues. Like, it's always the, oh, I think it's kind of weird. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know, man. I, 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 I'll, I'll break away from my uh, recap just for a sec to ask you guys a question in the sense of I, I actually heard this uh, question point um, a couple weeks ago. And I wanted to see what your guys' opinion on was it. If the claims of 2020 were true and there was verifiable proof or like even like a good chunk of proof that the election was stolen from Donald Trump, do you guys think that the insurrection at the Capitol would have been justified? No, absolutely not. Even if it was 100% fraudulent. So like if we we knew at the time that it was 100% fraudulent or if we found out now? Like at the time, like if If, if at the time, like let's say even, even now, let's say Joe Biden gets his election stolen and like the Dems are like, all right, let's go. And like, you know, it's stolen. Do you think at that point it's a justifiable 
like so act. I think if there's undeniable evidence and people aren't just shouting at each other, people tend to jump on the same boat as one another. I don't know. I feel like if there was undeniable evidence, even political de or the the Dems on every level would be like, yeah, that's not okay. Yeah, I think because the obviously the 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 hogs are gonna say it's not okay regardless of whether there's any evidence or not and it was the same with trump if we're being totally honest i know yeah. he's kind of a douchebag but i'm not gonna pretend like the dems didn't do the same to trump so I mean, yeah I, there's irrefutable evidence even like if like when trump does like trump or let's say this year joe brandon there is conclusive evidence that donald trump stole the election from joe biden proved 100 percent undeniable irrefutable evidence i don't even think like i don't there's maybe like two three percent of the population that's going out to bat for donald trump everybody else is like I, and i and i think at that point like rioting not necessarily rioting but assembling outside the capitol is absolutely justified and you know like oh it's such a weird hypothetical you're like yeah if somebody actually just because at that point if you're undeniably irrefutably taking over the government that's a fucking coup mm. like that is a rebellion like you just did it so like at that point, it's like, yeah, I think that people have to do something. Here's a thought. Just a, a hypothetical thought experiment that would totally break down all forms of government. What if we didn't have presidents or governors or, like, a single leader? I really don't think we need a president. Yeah, the president mostly is a figurehead. Yeah. He's a chief diplomat. Is there any evidence of that in modern-day politics? Or even ancient politics, for that matter? Like, If you don't there... have a centralized leader? Yeah. Like, you still have centralized leaders, like Congress would still exist, but... I, I do love that you are, uh, you're opening up your idea to People's Revolutionary Council, Nick. We're, we're breaking through, like, the, see, the, the, the decentralization of power, it's, it's getting to you, I like, I like to hear that. Is that how the Republic was formed, the, the Roman Republic? Was well, they that had Caesar. Caesar, but that was, like, an emergency, like, decree of, like, dictator, like, uh, whatever. No, but before that, it was the Senate, but... I get. I don't think you could the, call the Senate a decentralized power. It's just basically an oligarchy. But well, right. But, but yeah, it's, in, I mean, in idea, in principle. Yeah. Yeah. That is in, in theory like that. Yeah. But just like to keep. I think I, not necessarily that we would have to like for a country our size to have a centralized leader. I don't think so. I think we would be because I mean our, our president doesn't really do a whole lot anyways. I mean we've seen that with Joe Biden. I think <laughs> the, the, his ass the whole time. The biggest, the biggest thing part that... is interacting with other countries. I think you have to have a focal point like a, like a chancellor or something. Or the right. speaker of the house. Right. Who's like an elected person, but they hold no real power other than they are just the talking head. Yeah, interacting with other like foreign governments is definitely yeah. like a very important job. Yeah. And that's that's what you have like obviously Secretary of State or and otherwise like, diplomats to the do. The president the president's like chief position is lead, like head diplomat, lead diplomat. Yeah, head of state. Yeah, and commander in chief. Which and you know, when we're not in times of war is you know, like, that's kind of one of those things, like, when we enter wartime, okay, we elect the commander-in-chief. Yeah. Or we have an yeah. emergency one. I think but... the, the problem with that is it's too slow, right? If you yeah. don't have a... The reason you have one is because somebody needs to make a decision when a decision needs yeah. to be made. Like, when there's a developing... There's a missile in the air, we need to do something right now. Right. But, yeah, I mean, outside of those kinds of situations, it's hard to see why you need one versus just having Republic, really. There was a lot of that in, uh, actually, uh, in the USSR, there was a lot of, like, uh, planning committees rather than, like, because obviously everyone looks at, like, Stalin and Khrushchev and Gorbachev and stuff like that. That was obviously at the more executive level, but, like, actually on, like, a state-by-state -state level, it was a lot of, like, central, it was a lot of uh, people's committees and stuff. I think, like, even down to the state level, like, like, the governors or, like, mayors exist. Like, does Waconia have a mayor? It was Jim Nash at one point, wasn't it? Yeah, like, but like, I think like when you get to that kind of local government, I don't like mayors. I don't think do anything. I, I that could be that could very easily be a city councilman with like an elected speaker of the council who. Oh, you, you know, know what? Like, addresses. I, there is a, a country that doesn't really have a centralized leader in the same way that we do. It's a huge. I mean, not size-wise, but influence. The UK. They don't. The prime, prime minister. It's prime not minister. elected at large. It's basically yeah, it just the, the speaker of the house. Yeah. I mean, that's what, like that's what most parliamentarians like governments have. So like, if, yeah, if you're advocating is, for something like that, which I think is better than a chief executive, but I, I agree with that. Now, <laughs> Rishi Sunak, that yeah, freak is a bomb. But I actually just looked up today. Do you realize he has an approval rating of twenty one percent? I mean, he's still <laughs> Boris Johnson. Nobody will ever be Boris Johnson. That's true. Boris was epic. Boris was so they funny. Went so many prime ministers in a short period of time. Didn't you remember the you remember the woman before uh, Rishi Sunak yeah, who like, quit after like a, a month? month. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
My uh, my roommate had asked actually because we were talking about her at the bar not that long ago, and my roommate had asked, "Oh, was she the first prime, uh, lady prime minister?" I'm like, "Have I got someone to talk about right now?" Let me tell you about the devil in the form of a woman. <laughs> yeah, the one who was waiting for Reagan to get down so she could just make out with him. Yep, they could have vigorous, rough sex in hell. To get back to Minnesota, just to end it right here, obviously we all on a little bit of a track there. So the Minnesota State Assembly is gathered for their 2024 session, and they are. Yeah, they've introduced a couple of like smaller pieces of legislation. Nothing groundbreaking yet, but I expect that to come. I expect legalized sports betting uh, in this session because they wanted to do it last session, but they didn't have time. Let's go. I follow this uh, Minnesota sports page called 10K Takes. They're very good. They're kind of funny. Every single time Walls posts, he'll retweet it and go, very cool at Governor Walls. Please legalize sports betting. <laughs> Every single post he makes. <laughs> this is awesome. I, I like I said, I've only expected to happen because they that was on their to do list last uh, last session. They just didn't get to it. Their first piece of legislation they're debating right now. It actually just passed out of committee onto that onto the House floor is a uh, euthanasia bill. And I wanted to ask your guys' opinion. What what is your guys' opinion on euthanasia for like the elderly or otherwise disabled? One hundred percent yes. I think I you think should... it's. I, the fact that it's illegal, once again, it's going to sound bad when I say it, but the <laughs> fact that it's illegal to kill yourself is f bonkers to me. <laughs> like, that it should totally be your prerogative as a human being. Like, I don't... But you're not really killing her. You're asking someone else to kill you, right? Like, yeah, no, but talking, like, they like, still can't do it to themselves. You like, yourself, if you, if you told a medical doctor that you were going to kill yourself and you were like actively trying to kill yourself, you there would custody. be measures put in place to stop you from doing that. Yeah, you'd be institutionalized. Yeah, and I'm not saying that it's a good thing. Obviously, like, you want to help those people, but making it illegal is fucking weird. I think in cases of mental illness, like... Yeah, uh, that, okay, it's like, so obviously, that, you know, like, yeah. people who are bad places, they're mentally ill. You don't want them to just be like, yeah, it, go, go crazy, I guess. But, but yeah, uh, I don't know. If you, I well, think in terms it, of, like, physician-assisted suicide, I think it's... It's a touchy subject for me, because I think there's a time and a place for it. But, like, you hear, I, I don't know how much of it's true, obviously, but, like, you hear about Canada, and they're, like, they'll recommend, like, yeah. <laughs> for, like, the most, for, like, people being poor. Or, like, yeah, I, I do remember hearing about that, yeah. And it's, like, I feel like there has to be a very set and defined criteria of when a doctor is allowed to recommend physician-assisted suicide. Like, a very, very rigid, defined set of circumstances that if it is not within those very rigid defined circumstances, you cannot even mention it as an option. I, I don't disagree with you on that. I think it's obviously it should be heavy, heavily regulated. The, the reason why they're even debating this is because there is a, I believe I read it, she was like 75 years old. She is uh, has terminal cancer. She's not really experiencing a whole lot of pain, but she has a, a, lot, a lot of arthritis. Like she has like very severe arthritis. And she knows that she only has a few months left. So she's like been saying like, can I do it guys? Like, can we please just like coast off before I experience like tremendous amounts of pain? Yeah. I mean, it's well, the same that's... thing as like hospice at that point. Like, you know, you're going to die. You're just trying to ease their suffering, ease their pain. Like look, when uh, my grandma passed away the other year, like she spent her last couple of months on hospice. I mean, she had no idea where she was. She didn't know who was in the room. And so it's that... in those kind of situations. It's why don't you release them from their suffering? Mm. Exactly, and it's the same thing with my uh, my great grandmother passed away in February. Yeah, she was it was awful. I mean, I didn't see her in that because it was really quick. She, it was like less than a month between when you could no longer like speak to her normally and when she died. But it was terrible. Like I yeah. swear to God, it it seemed like she had more morphine in her system than blood at some <laughs> points. Like. It I, just I think, doesn't make sense. And then the, yeah. I mean, I, this is financialized death, but the cost too, like paying for all that care. If only it was free. Well, uh, and, and I think yeah, you know what I mean, <laughs> but that's not the point I was getting no, at. No, I, I know, I'm just but, being a dick. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I went home and like from the time my grandma was like diagnosed, like she was sick, we knew she was sick. To the time she started hospice to the time she died was very quick. And I went home in that, that period, and I, she didn't recognize me. She had no idea I was there. So it's like, I mean, she didn't know what was going on. We all knew it was her time, just try, trying to make her comfortable. It's like in that situation, you know, like maybe it's her time, but also, like, if she's in that kind of state, she you can't have to, consent to that. Right, you have to do yeah. it prior to. The doctor yeah. would have to be like, hey, you're gonna lose your shit. Would you like to do this First. Or something you can like add to your will, like if you get to this state as determined by a doctor, or even like a board. Like I wouldn't be opposed to like it has to be like a unanimous vote yeah, of like, like three or board, four. Board of three, three to five. Uh, some, 
odd yeah. number. Three to five doctors has to approve it. Mm, yeah, I could see something like that. Something very like regulated and very because yeah, like Canada is crazy with their use of age. Yeah. It's like, oh, you cut your finger. Here's here's a here's a overdose of morphine for you. <laughs> oh, you broke your leg. Ooh, ten thousand dollars. Well, you could always kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that's oh. why people are wary of making it legal because they think hospitals are just going to suggest. Yeah. People kill themselves. Well, with some but, unregulated capitalism, who knows? They could probably sell off deathbeds for ten thousand dollars. Sorry, uh, not but, hospitals. Insurance companies are going to sell. Insurance companies would be like, "Yeah, we're not covering that, but you could kill yourself." We'd yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll you could. That. We'll pay for that. <laughs> yeah, we'll pay for suicide. We won't pay for the FEMA replacement. Sorry, man. Sorry, bro. It's just a little, you know, it's 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 just business, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But uh, moving, I just wanted to tell you guys about that because I don't think I actually have ever uh, asked you guys about that specific topic. But moving on away from Minnesota to some of the more national wins that we had. Again, like I said, 2023 will be a very, very good year in the terms of history of labor because while labor has been destroyed, eviscerated, and crushed thanks to the likes of Ronald Reagan and every other neoliberalized president and administration for the last 40 years, we, we made a comeback this year. And I, I like to say that because it just We're makes me so, so proud. Back. Labor We're is so, so back. back. Yes, so absolutely. Back. We we started off with obviously the biggest one was the writer strike. Like obviously there had been other strikes beforehand. In total, there were four hundred and fifty one uh, recognized strikes by the Cornell uh, Inter ILR Labor uh, Labor Action Tracker. Four hundred and fifty one strikes. Obviously, those are rookie numbers. We're gonna get those numbers pumped up, but it's a good way to start. It's a good way to start, and especially with those four hundred fifty one with the likes of the big the big four that happened this year with. SAG after the actors strike, the WGA the writers strike when they teamed up, especially the UAW and the UPS Teamster strike, the one that technically wasn't a strike, but like it, they had authorized it and hadn't got there yet. But between those four, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of workers, and you're talking about a lot of class solidarity and a lot of great outcomes for those people. Because at the end of the day workers have the power i wanted to start off with obviously the biggest probably the biggest one that came that comes to mind when you think about uh labor stoppages this last year and that was the uaw now the uaw lasted uh obviously was kind of short-lived comparatively to the writers and uh, actors strike but it was still very very powerful not only because you had the very first sitting president joseph robinette brandon to join a picket line before he decided to throw away all of his electoral chances but at that point, we still had faith. We still had a little bit of faith in our boy because, again, he made labor history by joining a picket line while Trump went to a non-union shop. God, God, he's so good. But the United Auto Workers, their strike lasted approximately 40 days, and the UAW represents 145,000 workers at General Motors, Ford Motor Company, and Chrysler's uh, Stellantis. The union's targeted strikes dedicated are uh, achieved up by the UAW's president, the dreamy Sean Fain. He's so hit, hot. He's so hot. He's so sexy, and ugh, he's just so good. Hit nine U.S. factories and dozens of parts distribution centers. Ugh. Easy for you to say. Yes, it is. <laughs> and they involved more than 45,000 targeted workers at these plants. They reached an agreement in October, and they won approximately a 25% base pay increase over the next four years, plus the reinstatement uh, of cost of living raises, improved retirement benefits, the right to strike over plant closures, and better pay for temporary workers. The union didn't quite get the 40% and 32-hour work week, but they say that's up for their next contract, and they will be fighting extra hard for those. The best part about all of these is, too, you might be asking yourself, those are unions. I'm not, a, I'm not in a union. Why do I care? Because when unions win, you win. Every other car plant that is not unionized under UAW got at least a 10% pay increase following the strike because they realized they had to stay competitive which actually led Sean Fain to say UAW stands for you are welcome, which is oh, <laughs> so sexy. I just love it so much. Uh, I mean, like, it's insane to me that workers will go out there and, like, bat against the union. It's like every single thing you know about, like, modern American labor law is from a union. Like, if we never had unions, we would all be working 16-hour days, seven days a week in the worst possible conditions for 50 cents an hour. Starting at, like, age six. Yeah. Because you can fit your hands into the cogs. Everything that you that you take advantage for right now in the workplace, a union fought and potentially even died for it. Yeah, Nothing they, was given. They fought. They they won the eight-hour workday. They won the five-day work week. They won sick leave. They won PTO. 
They want minimum wage. They got it all. Everything that you have, like that you just take for granted about having a job was won by a union. Yes. Nothing, no matter, whatever they tell you, no matter what employees will tell you, like, oh, we give this to you. Nothing was ever given. It is always, always fought for. And we stand on the backs of our labor, of our previous labor leaders to thank you for that. Didn't FDR in the New Deal add to workers' rights too? Oh, yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I don't that think was it's on all the back unions, of, guys. Well, that was on the back of a lot of pressure from union organizers who were part of some, Like, he was big on unions, supporting he needed to be. They threatened a general strike on his ass, which you can't do that as a president. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Going back to work, they're like, why would I go back to work for you if you're not going to provide me? And they're like, all right. Well, they're like, why would I do that? They're like, all right, you're going to go. What, what do you want? What do you want? I'll give it to you right now. Which, unfortunately, no other president has been willing to cave to those, like even with the train yards. But Next up, we have the SAG Act, uh, Screen Actors Guild American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. These are basically all of the actors. Their strike lasted 118 days, pretty much all summer. Uh, it was 140,000 workers, and it, uh, they reached a deal in November. They get two wage increases in the inaugural year of the contract, so this year. A first year increase of 11.28%, an additional 4% next year. They also got one of their biggest things, considering uh, they were really worried about AI, especially like people use like the studios using their likeliness with like their likeness without paying them or without asking them. They got complete agreements to not do that, and you have to be able to use consent and even like likeness of like lips and ears. Those even have to be asked for. So again, huge win for this contract specifically. Moving on from there, well, we have their partners in crime next of the WGA. Uh, they lasted 148 days. They were on strike a month before the actors joined. I remember, you guys remember, it, they happened right as uh, uh, Barbenheimer happened. So they literally, Killian Murphy so literally walked out. The, yeah, they, they walked out at the midnight the, premiere. Yep. And then Stephen Amell Based was like, Killian I hate Murphy. strikes. Yeah, then Stephen Amell went full <laughs> loser. That's yeah, full okay. scab. Apologize. Walking out of the midnight premiere, like, I understand standing with so your based. union because so you so based. have to. Killian Murphy's but, so like, they you've already put out. in all the work. Walking out doesn't. It doesn't matter. Wouldn't you want to see what you've been putting all this effort into? Not without, not without being a union, baby. Don't go against the union. I think that's ridiculous. If I did a project for that long and put, you know, my heart and soul into it, but how did you get that project? The union. That's great, but I would still watch it. It's already fucking done. Like. Like, yeah, but you're gonna see it again. You're gonna see it eventually. You wait. I guess weeks. I don't know. Yeah. it just seems silly to me. Because the whole part of that too is it's showing solidarity, in, even in between your own union. The big guys like Killian Murphy, Christian Bale, those guys never have to worry about money every, a day in their life. They're set forever. But it was those guys, RDJ, all of these big name actors that were on the front lines. They were fighting for those guys that barely make enough to get the health insurance yeah, every was, year. Uh, Matt Damon had a great video where he's like, he was out. So he's like, he's like, you know, it's like, it's like I, it's like. I have made it. You know, I don't have to worry about money. I'm fortunate. I'm an incredibly privileged position that I don't have to worry about money. But I remember when I was 17 and I was making nothing. I was, you know, barely scraping out to get that health insurance and what they did to me, and I'm going to stand with them. You know, famously too, we also have to remember the awful. <laughs> actually, I'll, I'll read the I'll read the the WGA Bob one. Iger. I'll talk about Bob Iger. Yeah. yeah. But who threatened to kill him? Yeah. Who, was, who was gonna? Yeah. Who knew where he went? Somebody was gonna. Who said that? <laughs> some actor i want to i want to uh to pull up in the sense of this the solidarity side you know who great gave a great speech on solidarity uh being a big name actor that everyone recognizes brian cranston the, the based <laughs> and i was gonna pull up, i was gonna pull up his speech because it's only a minute and a half long here because it was ron truly perlman. ron perlman oh yeah that's the guy who was like when, here's uh, his house when bob Iger was like we're just gonna wait for all the writers to be homeless uh and then they'll have to come back to work and ron perlman's like that's cool i know where you live yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's been a lot of conversation about the differences between the AMPTP and what SAG-AFTRA is looking for in, in our compensation in this contract. But there is one thing that we will all agree on, even they agree on it, and that is our industry has changed exponentially. We are not in the same business model that we were even 10 years ago. And yet, even though they admit that that is the truth in the, today's economy, they are fighting us tooth and nail to stick to the same economic system that is outmoded, outdated. Anti-capitalist. 
Let's go. Base. We are all gathered here today in unity in front of an entity that is run by Disney. And now, uh, we've got a message for Mr. Iger. Here's the part. I know, sir, that you look through things through a different lens. We don't expect you to understand who we are. But we ask you to hear us. And beyond that, to listen to us when we tell you we will not be having our jobs taken away and giving to robots. We will not have you take away our right to work and earn a decent living. And lastly, and most importantly, yeah, so, so he is pretty good. And again, that was delivered right after the Bob Iger thing. But I like yes. him. I've always liked him. I love him. You got to notice how he tapped into a little bit of the Walter. We need you to listen to us. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the Writers Guild joined in with the SAG after strike. They were on, like I said, a month beforehand. That was 11,500 of them. They reached an agreement in September. The studios and streamers agreed to a series of increases in minimums. Most increased by 5% in September. will increase another 4% in this spring. Uh, and again, 3.5% in May of 2025. The writer's biggest thing was also AI because companies were literally just using AI to write scripts and they didn't need them anymore. Like when Disney, just, yeah, when, when Disney did the whole like intro to the uh, secret invasion, it was completely AI. Everyone went crazy on them. But... Writers won't lose cre out, uh, writing credits on or compensation when AI tools are used to assist in creating scripts. Writers can use AI tools uh, to write if the company agrees, but employees can't require the use of such tools. So, again, a huge win against technology. And again, the last one, the UPS Teamster strike. This one threatened to upend the entire American economy because there are over 330,000 Teamsters members. It's still one of the most powerful unions there is, besides the UAW, of course. They threatened the strike, but they didn't need to. They got a contract in July, I believe literally within hours of them about to walk out onto the picket lines. UPS pays, uh, par pays new part-time workers a wage of, tw a rate wage of $21 an hour. Exist existing UPS workers would get a raise of $7.50 an hour over the, over the life of a five-year contract including a $2.75 an hour pay bump in 2023. UPS drivers will remain the highest paid delivery drivers in the U.S. with an average rate of $49 an hour. Yeah, they make a lot of money. They do. And vehicles will now won't be equipped with inward-facing cameras, which is ridiculous beforehand. Like, give them a little bit of privacy, goddamn. And they will also be creating new cabs that actually have air conditioning because UPS trucks get a little hot. All of this comes as Brandon has strengthened the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, and we hope to see him continue to do so. He's claimed he's the most pro-worker president, and on paper that it is. Obviously, the bar is in hell, but obviously a great thing. And if you want to win national campaigns, focus on this. A great example I saw this is Brandon was the first to be on a, a picket line, Nowhere is that on his campaign video. Nowhere is it on his, anywhere on his website. That's a huge deal, man. You should be shouting that from the rooftops. As to wrap it up here, because I know Nick has to get going, I wanted to leave us off with uh, this taste of hope because 2023 showed us that not everything had to be bad. We can still have good news out in the world. And that leads us into a potential really, really good news because, again, the sexy Sean Fain has promised us a gift in the future. What is that gift? That is... A new contract day. He's trying to coordinate with all other with all other um, major unions and major union heads to try to 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 try to get their contracts to realign on May first, twenty twenty eight, May Day, International Solidarity Day. And if when we get that, we have the ability to do something. And I'll just let him. I'll let him say it, and then I'll say my piece. It's very significant. Is we set a new contract deadline for May the 1st, 2028, May Day, International Solidarity Day. We did this for two reasons. I've always thought in my walk as a union rep that September was the worst time in the world to be going out on strike because sales start lagging when we get into the winter months. May made a hell of a lot more sense, but it also made sense to do it in a unified approach. We gotta get back to the days we got to pay for our sins of the past. Back in 1980, when Reagan at the time 
fired the PATCO workers. Everyone in this country should have stood up and walked the hell out. We missed the opportunity then, but we're not going to miss it in 2028. That's the plan. We want a general strike. We want everybody walking out, just like they do in other countries. Oh, it's so good. So good. I love him. Yes. So May 1st, 2028, general strike. Put it on your calendar. It's coming. It's going to be so awesome, and we will earn back worker power in this country. Something to look forward to. Joyous. Yes, but I know that we're wrapping up on time here, so thank you for listening to this week's episode of Two Lefties Get It Right. I've been Cameron. I've been Griffin. And I've been Nick. And we will see you next week.